For all you girls wondering, no, this is not Starbucks coffee. My wife got me a medicine ball. It tastes terrible, um, but it's helped me regain my voice, so I'm very grateful. Um, you know, I'm also not somebody who's very, uh, very keen on throwing people under the bus, but when the stars align, I feel like I have to. Um, and it just so happened that uh, Duke was ranked higher than Kansas. And Duke lost yesterday, and Kansas won, and they got to enjoy that one week ahead of us. But come tomorrow, they're jumping back on top. Dawn's over there shaking her head, and she actually is probably drinking coffee because she needs to cope with all the hurt and the, the pain. Oh, you got a messing ball too? Oh, you feel just as bad as me then, huh? Yours is bigger than mine though, right? You feel worse than me because uh, could Duke losing. I feel you. Um, no, that's funny. Um, but we're, we're, I want to welcome you guys to the Crossings Church. My name's Jake. I'm, I'm excited that you guys are here. We actually have a lot of different things going on um, when it comes to sports. So we actually have Super Bowl next week. And whether you are a Travis Kelsey fan or a Taylor Swift fan, or um, it seems like it's, there's a lot going on in the Super Bowl that uh, normally we don't see, um, or if you're just an anti-Chiefs fan and you want anything but Chiefs joy, um, this is the place to go. And if you guys see in your bulletins in the back, there's lots of different places and, and parties and um, food uh, that's going to be at all these locations. And so if you're visiting today, talk to somebody who brought you or invited you, and we'll make sure that you guys have a place to go to that. Uh, the following week, we actually have a marriage retreat as well, and that's in your bulletin as well. Um, we love the marriage retreat here. Um, it's out at the Lake of the Ozarks this year, and there's a registration in there for that as well. Um, it's a great time to just get away uh, with your significant other and uh, just experience a, a nice weekend at a, at a great retreat center um, and hear a lot of different lessons to help improve and shape your marriage, your parenting, and all those things that go along with it. Um, <coughs> so I was going to jump in today. We actually are in a completely new series that Wes started last week on Remember, and this is the graphic that we have um, we're probably going to get this printed out and thrown up on stage in some different places. But the idea of remember, it kind of takes out of the verse 2 Timothy 2.8, and it talks about remembering Jesus's, uh, it says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And our goal this year for this theme is that everything that we do here at the Crossings Church, everything that drives us, everything that moves us, whether it be our day-to-day discipleship and how we choose to love and serve God in our homes, in our work lives, whether it be on a larger scale and how we choose to operate as a church in our ministries and our small groups, whether it be on the way that we choose to reach out to people with the events that we run and we plan as a church, whether it be the way that we develop our kids and our kids' camps and our kids' events, whatever we do, we want to remember Jesus. And we want to remember that he was risen from the dead because that should draw and motivate us to do everything we do in life. And the goal this year is to have that always on our minds. So as I go to work and I'm an employee at my job, I am remembering what Jesus did on the cross for me. Because now that I know that, now that I remember that, it will change the entire way I view my work life. When I'm a student and I go to school and I remember what Jesus did on the cross for me as a student, it will change everything that I do and I believe as a student and how I operate and how I work. As I'm a parent and I choose to raise my kids, it will change everything and how I choose to operate as a parent. If we can keep this on the forefront of our hearts this year and in our minds, it will change the way you are discipled and the way you disciple. 
And our whole goal this year is just to keep that idea in our head to remember Jesus in everything that he did. And if you're visiting with us today, you're at a great place because we have just started this. And we're going to spend, you know, this whole year focusing and remembering Jesus in everything that we do. And hopefully the way that we operate as a church, the community that we've built, it will be that much greater and that much more blessed and that much more focused on the purposes and the direction that God wants us to go. We, we believe that we're going to be planting churches soon here at the Crossings Collinsville. We have sister-partnered churches um, on the Missouri side that have already started that process and are planning another church soon. And we believe that as you, as you surrender yourself to Christ, you surrender your life to Christ, and as you remember Christ in your life, there will be a call for you to go seek and save the lost, whether that's here at the Crossings or wherever it is in this, in this world. And we want to make sure that we prep our church and our people for that same thought process. But wherever you're at in life, to remember Jesus and what he did. And today what we're talking about is remembering how to overcome temptation. And when we look at the model of Jesus when it comes to overcoming temptation, <clears throat> the ultimate thing to remember is the temptation he had when he did die on the cross. Um, and so what we're going to do even to start today is I want to take communion to set our minds right on this idea of remembering Jesus on the cross. Because if our theme verse is about him being risen, the reality is that Jesus, that was the ultimate temptation that he probably suffered, was the thought of not having to die on the cross. You know, think about that for a minute. If you think about Jesus dying on the cross, and we take communion, and, and you know, even in Matthew 26, it kind of alludes to this thought that he, he, had, he had asked, and he had talked to God, saying, you know, if, if this could be taken from me, if this, if this cup could be taken from me, you know, but, but I'm still willing to do what's needed. I think in our human nature, any human, no human would want to die on a cross. No human would want to go through that humiliation and that torture and that, and that, that exhausting process of dying in that way. Um, and I'm sure that Jesus didn't want to either. But yet, in the temptation that he knew logically, he was the son of God. He, he could have called down angels. He could have just eliminated it. He could have not done it. I'm sure that temptation crossed his mind to the point where he wanted to talk to his father about it, that he would pray and, and, and sweat blood because of the stress that was going to go along with this. That in, his human, in the human form that Jesus was, that he was tempted just as much as any one of us would have been in that context. But Jesus found a way through the temptation to die on the cross for you, to die on the cross for me. And instead of, instead of giving in to that temptation and just saying, you know, that's too much, that's too much to ask for me, he chose to fight through that temptation and say, no, this is what's right. This is what the Spirit is leading me to do. This is what God is calling me to do. And it's a perfect example of how to fight through temptation in our lives. And as we walk through the sermon today, we're going to be talking about how to face temptation, but ultimately the temptation that we can look at and the model Jesus had was how he chose to fight through that temptation to die on the cross for you, and that should compel you to look at the temptation in your life and evaluate, am I truly being aggressive, and am I truly being somebody who's called in my walk, in my walk with God to fight temptation the same way that Jesus did? And I mean, if you, if, you can't, if you can't connect to that side of temptation in Jesus' life, it's going to be really hard to connect to anything. But to, to know that somebody was willing to fight through temptation, to, to die on the cross for you, hopefully taking communion today will help you evaluate, man, maybe I should have a more aggressive approach in how I deal with temptation in my life and not give in so easily. Okay? So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song. We're going to take communion together today. Let's pray. <coughs> God, I want to thank you so much.
for sending your son to give us an example of temptation and how to deal with it. Uh, there's so many things that I've walked through in my life, Lord, that I, I, have, I have just collapsed. I have caved in and I've given in to, to, to numerous opportunities where I, I was tempted and I could have fought a little harder. But God, I think I'm always reminded of, of your son and how he died on a cross and how he had that same temptation and the same kind of hardships and the same kind of doubts, the same kind of fears that I've had, God. But he chose to please you because he loved us. And so, God, I pray as we take communion today, as we take these symbols of what he chose to do, we can evaluate our lives and be thankful and grateful for what he did. And it can compel us to look at our lives and look at how we handle our temptations and, how, and handle our sin and say, man, if he was willing to do that because he loved me, the only response I can have is to figure out how I can strengthen my life and my walk with him. So thank you again for your son dying on the cross, and thank you again for the community of people that we have to share with this with, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, the ultimate form of taking what happened on the cross seriously is being compelled to live that life. And what's really cool is this last week, Prince decided to make that commitment. So come on up, Prince. <laughs> Prince has studied the Bible with Deontay and Alameda. And uh, where's Alameda and Deontay at? They're in here somewhere. There they are, right? And uh, this is yours, buddy. And they're going to walk through that with you, man. So congratulations. It's decisions like that in life that we see that, you know, Jesus was, was able to give us an example of something that we can't, we can't live on our own. We can't, we can't fight through those temptations ourselves. We can't, we can't deal with these things by ourselves. And for a lot of us, we walk through life feeling like we have no idea how to get out of the holes that we've dug ourselves into. Or we don't know how to deal with the struggles that continually happen in our family or the culture or the background that we come from to how to dig ourselves out of these, these, these temptations that keep coming. But when we find a relationship with Jesus and we see what Jesus did and what he was able to do himself, and he gives us that same model of this is what, could be, this is what it could be like for you, it's, it's so easy to want to jump into that life. But the reality is, is to know that maybe jumping into that life doesn't mean that temptations are going to go away. It's just understanding that there is an outlet, and Jesus provides that outlet for all of us. Um, this isn't in your notes, but in Hebrews 4.15, it says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And that's why we look at, this, that's why we look at the image of Jesus, um, that verse in Hebrews 4.15, it kind of gives us some truths about Jesus. It, it gives us this idea that Jesus was somebody who we can relate to. You know, a lot of times people feel like they can't relate to Jesus because he's so perfect. You know, he was, he was so... He, he just did everything right, and I do everything wrong, and I can't connect to that. But there is a purpose as to why Jesus came and why God became, became man in flesh to show us and to relate to us and, 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 and to see things like this where he says he's not unable to sympathize. He can because he was a man in flesh, and he dealt with the same things. But what we get from this verse a couple things. One is just, just some things to know before we jump into this today is that temptation is not sin. We've got to make that very clear. There are some people that believe that temptation is sin and that temptation is already put you in a bad spot. It's already put you in a hole um, that you can't dig yourself out of. And if you've already been tempted with things that you're engulfed in them already, but that's not the case. You know, temptation is, is something <clears throat> that is not sinful, but it's presented on this earth 
to, to snowball into something else, which leads to that second part of this, that temptation does lead to sin. And we know as we read through scripture how destructive sin can be. And we know that there's this idea that we need to be careful. So don't freak out if temptation is knocking on your door because it's not sinful. But to indulge in it, to, to partner with it, to lean up on it, to, to entertain it can lead to sin. And that's where the danger arises. But luckily in Hebrews, we get the understanding that Jesus is the perfect model of how to respond to temptation. Because it says, just in every way as we are tempted, just like we are, Jesus was as well, but yet he was without sin. And so as we remember Jesus today and we remember how to overcome temptation, what I want to talk about today is just four things that I think that we can overcome the temptations that we face with in life if we act like Jesus. You see, I don't know who you are in, in every context of your backgrounds and, and the things that you tempt that tempt you, but I know through Scripture that we are all tempted in life. Your, your temptations might be more physical. They may be more sexual. They, be, they may be more about food. They may be more about money. They may be more about success than others in this room. But I guarantee you that's one truth that I know about every single one of you guys is that you are tempted by something on this earth whether you believe it or not. And what we can learn from Jesus <clears throat> is how to deal with those, how to walk through those, how to fight through those, how to provide an outlet in those areas in our lives so that we don't indulge and entertain it to the point where it does become sin. And so the first point that I want to talk about today is, number one, I can overcome the temptations in my face, the temptations I face, if, like Jesus, I make pleasing God today my daily passion. I make pleasing God today <clears throat> my daily passion. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you, when you look at the story of Jesus and you see his, you see his timeline in, in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all document different timelines and different things that had happened in Jesus' life. But one thing we kind of see in all of them is that his, his early years are kind of like non-existent in Scripture. They're not documented. You know, we see, we see the birth of Jesus, and then we kind of see a gap in timeline until he's about 12, right? And then we see um, a situation where he gets, you know, forgotten at a temple, and then he kind of disappears again for another 18 years or so, and we don't really see him again until he's, you know, about 30 and, and about to start this ministry, right? And one of the first things that Jesus does um, is he chooses to go get baptized, right? And in Matthew 3.13, it says, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You know, and it's, you know, the son of God literally goes to a man and says, hey, I need to be baptized. And he recognizes who he is. And no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. Like, you don't need to be, you don't need to be baptized by me. And and I think that there, there's a truth in this that we need to understand. Like, logically, wouldn't it make sense that Jesus doesn't need to get baptized? He's literally God in the flesh. Why does he need to be baptized? Jesus has never sinned. Why does he need to get his sins washed away? You see, this baptism idea, if, if Jesus would have went along with it in the logical human perspective, it would definitely make sense that he doesn't need baptism. Because the things that are fulfilled through baptism, he already has. 
And so the question is, okay, why didn't he just go along with John here and say, you know what, you are right. I really don't need to do this. I think I'm fine. But Jesus replies, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. You see, what Jesus understood and what he was trying to get us to understand in this context was that Jesus didn't necessarily need the baptism for its benefits and its effects because he had already owned those things, but that there was a part of this that it had to play to fulfill all righteousness because if Jesus was to not do this and say, I don't need this, I'm fine, I'll be okay, I have a relationship with God, Jesus would have sinned. Do you understand that? If Jesus would have not obeyed scripture and not done what was expected and commanded of him, Jesus would have not fulfilled righteousness. He would have not done everything that was expected from a Christian in the early church, and he would have sinned. And I think a lot of times when it comes to our lives, we can expect that we are doing things in our lives that are okay, that we don't need to do that because we're fine. And, and even when it does come to the idea of baptism, like there are so many benefits that happen at the point of baptism. But at the end of the day, I could care less on church doctrine. I could care less on theology. At the end of the day, if the Bible says it, you do it, period. There should be no argument. Well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, I was baptized in this kind of kind. Well, I had oil sprinkled on my head. Well, I just, I've prayed Jesus into my heart. I don't care what has happened. I don't think Jesus cares what has happened. What Jesus says is, I have to do this to fulfill righteousness. I have to do this to fulfill the prophecy. I have to do this because scripture says so, and I'm going to do it, and there's not gonna be an argument or a history, or this is how I felt, or this is what my old church told me, or this is where I was from, or this is how I was raised, or this is what I believe. If scripture says it, you do it, period. And honestly, if more Christians would get on board with that thought process when it comes to your theology, if you would just do what scripture says and not argue with it, there might be a lot of temptations that would come in life that you would be able to deal with a lot more proper than how we go about. And so the arrogance and the pride that we struggle with, because that's a temptation as well. And I think when we look at scripture, we see that. And what does John say as soon as that happens? John consented. John says, this makes sense because you say it makes sense. <laughs> Because the word makes sense, and Jesus is the word in the flesh. Jesus was scripture. Jesus says this. John says, okay, you say so, I do it. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Do you think that he loved him any less before he was baptized? Probably not. Do you think that he was less pleased? Maybe. You see, to please God is to do what he says on a daily level. And as you walk through scripture and you see things that God asks you to do and expects you to do, you do them on a daily level. That's how you please God. That's how you deal with God's, that's how you deal with temptations in your life is to do what God says. And maybe if you're somebody today and you're, you've been contemplating that idea of baptism, maybe you've been contemplating the, the seriousness it takes to be a disciple, my question to you is why are you rebelling against what Scripture says? Why are you choosing not to do what God calls you specifically to do, to live for Him? There should not be an argument about this. 
It's black and white in scripture on this one. It needs to happen. But it's a choice that you have to make. Nobody can force you into it. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, So whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to him. It doesn't say anything about whether we live or die, if it's in our context, if it's in our nature, if, it's, um, if, it's, uh, if, we, if we're able to. He says we make it our life's passion. Have you ever said something about your life that like you're going to make it your life's goal to do something, right? Anybody thought about that? We're like, I'm going to make it my life's goal to be on the varsity football team when I get to high school, right? Or I'm going to make it my life's goal to marry the most attractive man I can find, right? I'm going to make it my life's goal to have the nicest house that I can, that I can ever achieve in my life. And, and we say those things, and you know and you understand that when you say, I'm going to make it my life's goal, that you're not just going to sit on your butt and be like, well, here's high school. It's going to happen. I'm going to be captain of the football team, you know, or, hey, you know, I don't take care of myself at all, but I know one of these men are going to eventually walk by and be like, man, what a cutie, you know? What a good-looking lady, and I haven't done anything to make myself presentable in that way. Or, you know, I'm just—I'm not going to get a job, and one day I'm going to be married, and I'm going to have a fat house. That, for real, is how some of you ladies think. You, you think that I just want to—I just want to be a stay-at-home mom. Any girls in here want to be a stay-at-home mom? Yep. I want—I want—I want the—I want the man to bring everything. I just want to stay at home, and he's going to give me that big house, you know. And so, we—we we make it our—we make it our lives' goals to do these things. But we don't realize the reality that there are choices that we have to do to line up to get those things. And it is no different in God's kingdom with his purpose. I want to be a good father one day. I want to be a godly mother one day. I want to have a godly family one day. I want to have a a job that I can bless others with, with responsibilities and, and, and financial you know, just freedom to be able to sacrifice and serve. I, I want to have healthy relationships with my friends. And we say these things that God desires of us, but we don't make it a daily choice, a daily passion to choose those things. Because every day God is giving us examples and, and maybe God is throwing us temptations or maybe Satan's throwing us temptations to challenge, to strengthen those little decisions that will get us there but we may, we may ignore or neglect those same things and then ask ourselves five or ten years down the road, why does my marriage look the way that it does? Why do my relationships look the way they do? Why does my work, why does my job look the way that it does? Well, have you compromised and have you made it your life's goal through the choices that you have every single day to make pleasing God today a daily passion Or do we have this vision board of what we want our lives to look like in 20 years, but we neglect what needs to happen today to continue that passion? This is Matthew 6, 34. It says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough today. You see, as I've gotten older, I realize that there are temptations and struggles I had when I was an 18-year-old college kid that I don't have anymore. But I also know that today as a 33-year-old husband and father 
that there are temptations that I have now that I didn't have when I was an 18-year-old. And you guys in this room that have gotten older and you guys are married off or you guys have you know, full-time jobs, you, you understand when I, when I say that, that temptations change through life. And to try to deal with temptations that are gonna happen in the future is neglecting the temptations that you're facing right now. And I think it's important for us to understand that right now in your context, in your temptations, you need to focus on those and not neglect or ignore, say they'll, they'll pass, they'll fade, but you need to deal with those because if you don't deal with those and you choose to stack new ones on later in life, it will become so overwhelming that you will eventually give in to your desires. But deal with the things that God has put in front of you today so that as you mature and as you grow in your relationship with God, you can deal with the next phase of temptations that may come into your life. Number two, I choose to be led by God's spirit and not my desires. I choose to be led by God's spirit, not my desires. Okay, Jesus was led to go to the wilderness. Luke 4 says he was led by the spirit to go in the wilderness where the devil tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing at that time and was very hungry, right? Um, Think about your desires. See, the crazy thing about being led by the spirit and, and being led by my desires is sometimes it's not necessarily bad things. You know, Jesus was tempted with food, right? He ate nothing for 40 days. Oh, does that mean food's bad? <laughs> oh, Jesus was tempted, you know, and, and he didn't eat for 40 days, and that means food is from the devil. You know, like, we shouldn't eat anything at all. Like, it, that's not what he's saying here. But I think at times, our desires may not line up with God's desires in our context. And Jesus was led by the Spirit to go out of there, and he was tempted in the same way. And in Galatians 5, we see the same kind of thing. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed of each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You know, maybe write, maybe write down what are you tempted by right now? Like what, what in your context are you tempted by? And it's time to start having this question that we need to have a, a thought process to ask ourselves, is this my desire or is this God's desire? Because God's desires aren't the temptations that you don't want to indulge in. Nobody's like, oh, man, you better stop talking. I'm going to be real tempted to ask you to come to church with me. You know, right? You better, you better knock that off or I'm going to ask you to study the Bible with me. I'm feeling real tempted to ask you to study the Bible with me. You know, like it sounds, it sounds obnoxious, right? Oh, man, you better not, you better not say that kind of stuff because I'm, I'm feeling real tempted to pray about you right now. You know, like... Don't tempt me anymore. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> I'm going to pray right in front of you. Like, we, we don't get tempted on bad things because those are God's desires. God wishes for us to do those things. We get tempted on the other stuff, right? Don't keep saying that stuff. Or I'm going to say something I wish I wouldn't say. Don't keep acting that way. Don't, don't, don't keep doing these things because then I'm going to, I'm going to indulge myself in something I probably shouldn't. I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing that I know I really don't want to, or I, I kind of want to right now, so I'm going to do it anyway, because I know God doesn't want me to do it. 
Maybe God doesn't want me to do it, but I want to do it right in that context. And the things that are natural that God's desires are, there are some things like that, right? There are some things that we know about prayer and fasting and evangelizing and and seeking saving the lost and, and all these different things that we can look at and say, those are God's desires in this world. But sometimes we don't want to do those things. But then there are other things we look at And they're still godly things, but the way that temptation has caught our eye, they turn into bad things. Like food, right? We talk about food. It's not ungodly to desire food. It's not ungodly to want food. But what is your desire in the food? Do you do it for nourishment? Do you do it for strength? Do you do it to get by on day to day? Or do you do it because you're insecure? Do you do it because there's a hardship that had happened? Do you do it to indulge yourself with your money? I don't think it's wrong at all that God wants us to work hard to earn an income. I think that's a godly thing to do is to, to, to earn money and to be responsible with it. But why do you attain money in your life? Well, God's desire would be to, to give it to the church, to give it to your life, to sacrifice and to give it to others, to show a model of what sacrifice and gratitude and generosity looks like to draw others close to him. That would be God's desire in the money that you make. But what's your desire in the money that you make? Is it to improve your image, to improve your status, to, to gain more worldly possessions? Sex, lust, relationships. Now, that's a good thing too. God designed sex. God designed relationships. God designed there to be intimacy. And there's a time and a place and a way to do that, to glorify God and to have a healthy relationship and to show what that true you know, sacrifice looks like to one another. But in our context, in my desires, I can go out to the world and I can find anybody and I can do out of my own selfish ambition. You see, there's lots of things that there's a fine line, and is it good or is it bad? And there, there are things that aren't bad, but we choose to make them bad because of the temptation and how the world portrays it to us. And so my question to you is the temptations that you deal with in your context that you struggle with, what is God's desire in that temptation? Because you can probably find one. What is God's desire in the things that are, that are tempting you? What, are, what is God wanting you to do in that context versus what do you want to do in that context? And you might have a different application. You might have a different mindset. So number two, I need to choose to be led by God's spirit, not my desires. Number three, I am aware that I will face temptation. Maybe I should put this as point number one, right? This is like the duh point, right? I'm aware that I'll face temptation. You know, temptation's not going to go away. Prince, I hate to say it, man, but if you got baptized because you didn't think you were going to be tempted anymore, um, that was some false advertisement, brother. Like, (laughs) it's going to happen, man. And uh, the culture that we live in, and especially at a younger generation, a younger age, the temptations, they just keep coming. And social media is huge now, just the influences that we have in our lives. Like, temptation is is here. Um. It's interesting to think about Jesus, right? Because Jesus was baptized, right? And then he goes to the desert. 
and was tempted by Satan. It, you know, Scripture doesn't indicate or allude to why that was the, the process, but what we can come to find out and what we can understand is that temptation doesn't have a timeline. You would think that logically, like, one of the highest pivotal moments in your faith is the moment that you are baptized, right? Because that's when you lay it all on the line. That's when you die to self, and that's when you say, like, I have, I'm wanting to live my life fully and wholeheartedly for God, and I, I'm giving away all of my desires and all of my temptations and all the things that I choose to want in this life, and I'm sacrificing those things to live a life now for God. You would think that Satan would kind of come back to you later, right? You would think that Satan would be like, all right, all right, he's kind of on a high right now. I'm going to come back a little bit later whenever, you know, he's, he's maybe not feeling so good. He's maybe kind of in the routine of things, and maybe he's kind of going through the motions. Maybe that's when I'll come back and be like, hey, man, you remember me? You know, like, but this is kind of a silly time to go through this. You know, you, maybe you think that Satan would go through that, but we see through Luke 4, 2, it says, where the devil tempted him for 40 days, he ate nothing at that time and was very hungry, Right? Jesus was tempted right off the gate. And to, to understand that there's not a timeline on your temptations, that they can come and pass at any time in your life, is a very important piece of your relationship with God because you need to understand that you aren't like through it. You know, I guess that's the best way to say it, is that you aren't through with temptation. And honestly, sometimes I think Satan might put it on a little heavier after you become a Christian. I don't know about you guys, but in my walk with Christ, it's a lot harder to not do things I want to do now that I've given that life up versus when I lived a life of sin, I could just do whatever I wanted to do, right? Because it just hits a little different now. James 1.13 says, and remember, when you are being tempted, not if, not, you know, every once in a while, but When? And I want to make this clear, too. And, you know, I guess, church, when it comes to temptation and understanding that we'll face it, we can generalize, we can generalize that, right? And we can say, yeah, we're all going to face temptation. But when you can understand and, and, and realize that it's personal, I think that's whenever the connection happens in a way that we take it more seriously. It's the same thing that happens when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, right? We, we hear about Jesus dying on the cross, and we say, you know, Jesus died for all, Jesus Jesus died for all of our sins. And we look at Isaiah 53 and we and we we read through that verse and it says, you know, he was led like a like a lamb to the, you know, like a sheep to the slaughter. And and we see, and we read through that and we and we see all these different things that Jesus suffered. And we're like, yeah, we know, we know Jesus died for all. And I don't know about you guys, but when I studied the Bible, somebody took Isaiah 53 and they changed every single time it said we, and they put my name in there instead. And instead of it saying that. You know, it was somebody from whom he was mocked and ridiculed and whom men would, men would hide their faces from because he was so disfigured and that nobody would be, you know, wanting to come and see him. It said, they'd reread and it said, you know, Jake despised him and Jake would hide his face from him and there's nothing in him that Jake would want to desire him and he did nothing wrong but Jake put him on the cross. It changed the entire way I viewed what happened on the cross. That it was no longer Jesus died for everyone. It was Jesus specifically died for me. And I had a response to that. And when you can connect to what Jesus did on a personal level 
and not on a universal level, it will change your convictions. But what's crazy is that Satan is the same way with temptation. Because we can sit in this room and we can all think we're tempted, right? Humans are just tempted in life. But until you can personalize it and realize that Satan is way smarter than you and that he makes your temptation in a custom little box that's only for you. Think about anything custom, right? Whenever you buy custom items, right? It means you can't buy it on a shelf. You can't buy it at a store because it's customized personally for you. And it's more expensive and it's more thought out and it's more detailed, but it's yours. And you customize it for yourself because you know exactly what you want and how you want it. That's what Satan does with temptation. He makes it very custom to you so that you will indulge in it and you will make it personal because it's what you want specifically. You know, my mom, like, here's a good example. My mom was a bartender for most of her life. And then she married my stepdad and he was a bartender for most of his life. And I grew up in bars. Like I literally just, I was raised in bars. Like in the summer times when I wasn't in school, I went to the bar with my mom and I would work a full eight, 10 hour shift with my mom. I was literally like popping beers and handing them off to guys and taking their money. Like I was, uh, <laughs> I was an illegal employee <laughs> like at, at 12 years old, serving beers to grown men. Um, and I would sit there and I was so engulfed in that environment, but yet my father was an alcoholic and my father abandoned our family at a young age. And I've always had this weird thing about me that was like, even when I wasn't a Christian, even when I didn't have a relationship with God, I wanted nothing to do with alcohol because I knew some, some weird trigger happened in my mind that I was wired in a way that was like, alcohol leads to broken families. And I didn't need scripture. I didn't need God's word to tell me that. I had just experienced it through what I watched happen in bars all day and happen in my own personal life. And so I was like, whether I'm a Christian or not, I'm just not going to drink and I'm not going to be tempted by it because I see how stupid it is and how foolish it is to indulge in something like that and to think that if a family needs something like that to be connected, then they're not really connected in the first place. So for me, it wasn't like it's a sin, it's this bad thing. I was like, it's just stupid to think that it's anything beneficial to my family in the future. So I just chose to not indulge in that as a kid. I had zero temptation with alcohol. I'm also like, it's like a waste of money. <laughs> like, I was like trying to think of it like that too. I was like, I, water's free, beer's not. So like, you know, where am I going to save more money in my life? And I was like, you know, how many times if I would have been like a drinker or a smoker over my time, like how much money would I have loaded up in just that stuff, you know? And so that's how my mind worked when I was a younger kid. And so now as a Christian, I still have not once ever been tempted to just drink, because my conviction was still the same as it was then. And so I'm not tempted in that. But I think it's because Satan understands that he's never going to get me. And he's like, oh, shoot, man, it gets a lot of people. Why is it not getting Jake? I got to keep customizing it to maybe this alcohol or this drink or this drink. And I'm like, no, I've never had that struggle or that temptation ever in my life. But one of my best friends, T.C. Brown, he's a campus minister at one of our other churches. T.C. Brown cannot step into a bar. You know, T.C. Brown is a campus minister just like me. He preaches just like I do uh, periodically. Um, and he's actually been a Christian longer than me. And I would say that T.C.'s faith is a lot stronger and deeper than mine. Um, but T.C. Brown cannot walk into bars because T.C. Brown had the same kind of background of a broken family as I did. But yet T.C., instead of running from that, he coped with it. 
So TC was the kind of guy that was on a college campus and filling a water bottle with vodka and going to class and getting drunk. And TC was hung over from class to class, and TC abused alcohol in such a way because he coped with it. And after TC became a Christian and was baptized, it became an incredible temptation to go back into that world, to go back into that life. And so I look at two men that are literally partnered in a relationship with God and how we run our lives and how we try to have the same kind of families, and yet our temptations are completely different. And our contexts are completely different. And I want you guys to understand, you cannot be ignorant to the fact that Satan knows who you are. Satan knows you at your core. And what he's going to come after you with is not the same thing as what he's going to come after the person next to you with. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul explains this and he pleads, he says, I don't want Satan to outwit us. After all, we are not ignorant about Satan's scheming. You know, I think sometimes Christians are so arrogant that we think that we're smarter than Satan. We think that there's like this pedestal of like, God is so smart and so wise and he knows everything. I'm like, good, you got that one right, right? And then they say, and then we're in the image of God. And so like we're right underneath him and we read his book and, we, and we're getting that knowledge and we're right here. And there's big old dumb Satan at the bottom, right? He don't know nothing, right? And he's down here and he's so stupid and he don't know nothing about nothing. And that's where we get it wrong. We put Satan underneath of us like he's not smarter than us. But that's what he wants you to think, because he is smarter than us. <laughs> like, Satan is right underneath God when it comes to the knowledge and the way he can get at your heart. Because just like God is drawing you towards him, Satan is doing the same thing, and he's way smarter than anything in our human knowledge and understanding that we can do ourselves. But for some reason, we think that because we live with God, and because we have a relationship with God, because we want to be like God, we automatically get to put Satan underneath all of that and be like, oh, his scheming ain't going to get me. He ain't going to trick me. He ain't got me. But do you know how many times I've watched Christians that have been dedicated, devoted disciples for 10 years, 15 years of their life, living this life of arrogance that thinks that they're done with temptation to sin and watch them have affairs? I've watched them relapse. I've watched them go back into addictive habits. I've watched them, you know, look at church and say, oh, it's too controlling or there's some political stuff going on and, and blah, 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 blah. And so, like, I just, you know, I just don't, I, I ain't about it anymore. And I think a lot of people just choose to, to have this arrogance to neglect how smart Satan really is and how he really knows who you are. And it might take five or ten years for him to finally get in there but he's smart. He's way smarter than any of us. And when it comes to temptations, maybe, maybe there's a couple that you don't struggle with, but he knows that. But he knows there's a couple that you really do. And you can keep cycling back to those time and time again, and all he's got to do is just find that one string to keep pulling on. And you find yourself back in sin. You find yourself indulging in those same things. But it's important for us to never forget, no matter how strong we are, no matter how faithful we are, no matter how devoted we are in our relationship with God, that there will always be temptation because Satan will always be smarter than us. He will always know how to get at our hearts, more so than we know how to get away from him. 
We live in his world, right? Didn't he promise Jesus to rule this earth because he had the power to give him that? Satan rules this earth. And as long as we're here, Satan's gonna have some sort of foothold to be able to come after us and say, listen, I know how to get to you because I control this place and I will, sh- I will find a way to get to you. And we can't forget that. You can't forget that in your life. Number four, this is where we get to the application side of this, right? So if this is, if this is true, that there's always gonna be temptation, you know, that, how much would it suck to end a sermon like that? All right, good, good, good luck, guys. Let's pray. <laughs> you know, like, let's leave today and just let's, let's each to their own. Let's, uh, let's figure it out ourselves, right? Now, we need some application here. We need some help. So number four is I utilize the tools God gave me. I utilize the tools God gave me. You know, I was, I was talking about my teacher's service today. It's kind of like an escape room, Right? I love going to escape rooms. Have you ever been to an escape room? If you haven't, it's the, I don't know why it's so cool. They lock you up in a room and they'd be like, give me your money, I'm gonna lock you up in a room and you gotta get out. <laughs> like, that's literally what an escape room is. And I'm like, take my money. This is so, so, so cool, right? Um, but that's what escape rooms are, right? And uh, temptation can be a lot like that. You can get locked up in, in your world, in the little world that you live in, and there's just temptations all over the place and you just don't know how to get out. But God gives us tools to look through those things. God gives us tools to open doors and to get through locks in our lives that we feel like we can't on our own. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up, you can stand up under it. Okay? So even though your temptation has been personally customized to you because Satan knows who you are, it's still not uncommon to anyone else. It may be personalized to you, but it's not uncommon. But also, there is never going to be a temptation that Satan can present to you in your life that God's like, oh man, I didn't think of that one. This guy's going to fall to sin. (laughs) Like, there's not any temptations that Satan is so smart on that God's not like, he can get through this. She can, she can, overcome, she can overcome this one. Come on, Satan. Like, there's always going to be a loophole. But we just maybe never can find that. But he does tell us that. Paul says when we're tempted, God will always provide a way out. It's like the escape room, man. You can be locked up in this room. You can be looking at all this stuff and be like, I'm so confused. I know, I know some of you guys are like terrible at it, right? And you guys walk into a room, you're like, I don't, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm living here, you know, the rest of my life, you know? And then people get right to it. And then people be staring at things on this wall and be like, hey, man, there's like, man, there's like three dots right here. It's three? Anybody say three, right? And there's, there's a bunch of speckles right here. Somebody scratched that off. Three, you know, three, two, three, two. And we start looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at. And they're like, that guy on the intercom comes and I was like, stop looking at the wall. There's nothing on the wall, right? Look somewhere else, right? You're looking in the wrong direction. And I think sometimes then that's how we can handle our temptation is we're looking at the wrong stuff. But God gives us tools. He provides ways out. And we're gonna walk through those tools. Number one is that God gave me the tool of fasting. He gives you the tool of fasting when it comes to your temptation. Matthew 4, 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus himself, he fasted 
And you know, guys, fasting is a principle that maybe we don't do as much as we should here at the church when it comes to temptations. You know, we'll fast for like struggles in people's lives. We'll fast if there's a hardship going on. We'll fast if, you know, somebody, you know, heaven forbid there's a death in the family or somebody's going through a a, a medical condition or, you know, there's just something like an emergency fast is something that we do a lot where it's like, oh man, we've really got to buckle down and fast about this right now because this is so urgent, it's on our hearts. And that's good. I'm not, I'm not disowning that. I think that we should be doing that. But sometimes I think we neglect that Jesus fasted for the temptations that Satan had thrown into his life. The whole principle of fasting, in a nutshell, is, is you choose to give up something good for something better. You choose, you choose to sacrifice something temporarily to get your eyes focused on something that can be way more beneficial. It's a spiritual discipline. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that produces a spiritual discipline. <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird how it's set up. And when we take the time to do that, he can kind of help us focus. It's like, it's like that escape room, right? When you take the time to just sit and focus, it, it gives you the opportunity to maybe look at something that you didn't see before in your life. Okay, maybe we just need to calm down, just take a minute and focus. Why, are, why am I doing this? What, what am I wanting? Oh, I do desire this, but what is God wanting me to see because I'm choosing not to indulge in this right now? I'm choosing not to go with this right now. It says in Matthew 17, 21, it says, this kind doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. You see, sometimes fasting is the only outlet to get out of a, a sin. It's the only outlet to have the temptation go away, to choose to take the time to sacrifice. And I've, I've watched so many people walk through that, right? People who, you know, struggle with, you know, eating habits. They choose to fast from certain items. And then when they crave those items, they find the reason why, and they, and, and they choose to focus somewhere else, and they build healthier habits. People who, who choose to waste a lot of their time, whether it's social media or, or TV shows or movies or things like that. They, they fast and they abstain from those things and every time they desire to get on their phone or they watch a show, instead maybe they're exercising now or they're praying more or they're connecting to God more. And so when they get out of that fast, they realize, man, I didn't really need that stuff. I was looking in the wrong places. I was tempted by things that I, I really have just been wasting my time on. And I think it's important for us to not neglect that fasting isn't just for emergency situations, but fasting is for temptation as well, just like Jesus exemplified that. Uh, Also in Matthew 17, 21, it gives us our second point because God gave me the tool of prayer. You see, prayer is a powerful thing when it comes to temptation. And, and, And Luke, we see this, Jesus did the same thing. In Luke 5, 16, it says, however, Jesus continued his habits of retiring to deserted places and praying. He didn't just do it one time. He didn't just do it periodically. It says Jesus continued this habit. Do you have a habit of talking to God about your temptations? Or, when, or is it when a temptation gets so overwhelming that it's overcame you and you are now caught in sin that that's when you choose to turn to God? You see, how do we connect to God? How do we talk to God about our prayer? Mark 14, 38, it says, watch and pray. Then you won't fall into sin when you are tempted. 
You see, this is, he's saying that you can be proactive about your sin, not reactive. I talk about this a lot in our campus ministry that I think sometimes we have a lot of reactive Christians that they don't listen and they don't want to do what's been, you know, encouraged to do or they don't want to be, they don't want to do what's challenged because they think they can do it differently. And then instead we have a lot of reactive Christians that come and say, oh man, I messed up, I did this. And there was never that time in the temptation process to pray about it, to talk to God about it, to connect with some people about it. Because right here, he says the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Mark 14 reveals that Jesus also knew the power of praying together. It wasn't just about him going off to himself, but he had connection and fellowship with others to overcome those temptations. In Jesus' worst moments of his life, he chose to be with others. You know, when we get caught up in temptation and what we want to do in our desires, I think a lot of times we tend to isolate, right? Because we know the temptation may be drawing us in a way that God's people don't want us to indulge in because maybe they won't approve. Or maybe it's because it's what I want to do, but I know it's not what he wants me to do or they want me to do. So if I get too close, they're going to call me out on it or they're going to judge me because of it. And we isolate ourselves. And then that, tap, that temptation gets wrapped up because we, we act on it. And it turns into a sin. And then we come back and we say, man, I messed up. Right? And the problem is, sin was never the problem. The action was never the problem. It was the way we chose to respond to the temptation in the first place. You see, I know even as a campus minister with college kids and even with my own kids, we're going to mess up. Sin is going to happen. It's just a part of life. But what I try to help people understand, what I try to help encourage is, listen, what were the steps that you took that led up to the sin that you need to work on? Because those are the things that if you are not going to control and you are not going to work on, you will always isolate yourself and you will always fall into sin and you will always get caught up in those things, but you need to learn the principle of being connected to a community, whether it's with your God or God's people. And we choose to ignore that and we go off on our own. And Jesus tried to help us understand, man, we've got to talk and we've got to be proactive about the temptation. We cannot be reactive because then we're just going to keep falling into sin. And then lastly, God gave me the tool of Scripture. God literally gave us an instruction manual on how to deal with temptation. There is not one temptation that we will ever struggle with on this earth that you will not find a loophole in God's truth to overcome it with. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he memorized it. And that's why he studied it. Matthew 4, 3 through 4. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, change the stone into a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, it's not just bread that keeps people alive. Their lives depend on what God says. You see, your life depends on what God says. You understand that, right? Like, the life that you live the marriage that you're going to have one day, the relationships that you have, the job that you have, that all depends and lives upon God's word, God's truth. 
Because everything you do in life should be driven by what Scripture says. Like we talked about at the very beginning with the idea of baptism. Everything we do should be driven by God's Word and what He says and how, and how He delivers it. And that can eliminate all temptations. Matthew 4, 5 through 6, it says, Then the devil led Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem and put him on a high place at the edge of the temple area. He said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, jump off, because Scripture said God will command his angels to help you and the hands will catch you so that you will not hit your foot on a rock. And he pretty much is like, hey, jump off this cliff because scripture says God will save you, right? Jesus answered, yeah, you know, but the scriptures also say don't test your God. Don't trust the Lord your God, right? And so he, he deals with this temptation with a temptation, or not a temptation, he deals with it with, with scripture, Matthew 4, 7 through 10, it says, Then the devil led Jesus to the top of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all these wonderful things. The devil said, If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. Right? That might actually be more a little more tempting than jumping off a cliff, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe Satan was on something there, right? If Satan came to you and was like on a giant cliff and he's like, Hey, man, jump off that cliff because Jesus said he'll catch you. You're probably going to be like, Nah, I don't I'm not tempted by that, right? You're probably like, nah, I don't know, I don't know, right? But if you go up to another place and, 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 and Satan says, hey, man, just bow down. I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you everything that this world can offer you. That might be a little more contemplating, wouldn't it, <laughs> right? For some of you guys that maybe, maybe some money would be kind of nice, right? Maybe some, maybe some power would be kind of nice, and once again, there's a temptation that devil, the devil sends to Jesus, and he responds with Scripture. He says, get away from me, Satan. The Scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God, serve only him. You see the loophole that we talked about earlier that God says, that Paul says that there's, God will always provide a way out. The loophole is always in Scripture. There's not one temptation that will ever overcome you if you can find the truth in Scripture that fights against it. But one of our biggest issues, especially here at the Crossings Church, myself included, is that we are so unknowledgeable of what God's Word says that when a temptation comes into our life, we have no idea in Scripture where we're supposed to go to fight that temptation to find the truth. And that's something I really want to work on in my own life and in my small group this year, but for you personally, the things that you struggle with, those temptations that you have right now, do you know, do you have verses that you know that you can say, you know, I'm insecure and, and I, I'm all about my body image and I want people to look at me in a certain way, but I know it says in Scripture this. Do you know where to look for that? I'm, I'm so... I'm so I'm, I'm so depressed, and, and all I want to do is eat, and, I, I, and, and, and I'm so tempted to just continue to indulge and, and engulf myself in this. I'm so tempted, but I know God's truth says this about me. I, I'm, so, I'm so focused in wanting to just have a worldly success, and I want money. I want, I want security. I want stability. I'm so tempted to just take a higher-paying job and work more hours and be disconnected from people. I'm so tempted to just, because everybody else in the world is doing that too, I'm so tempted but I know this is God's truth. This is what God says. What is your customized temptation? And what does God say about it? 
That's the question and answer that you need to have today in your life. Because Jesus knew how to respond with Scripture. And we get the result in Matthew 4.11. It says, so the devil left him. Then some angels came to Jesus and helped him. You see, you can find a way to fight through temptation in a way that, that the devil will leave. He'll come back later on a different thing. But you can find a way to find truth in God's word and get rid of that temptation and be ready for the next one. And I don't know about you, but whenever I choose not to get into God's word and I choose to let these temptations just engulf me, man, life is hard. But when I choose to fight it and I pray and I fast and I find God's truth and I get connected to God's people, there's lots of temptations that I don't struggle with anymore. And I'm ready for the next one. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you need to figure out, are you ready for the next temptation that Satan's bringing at you? Or can you not handle one more temptation in your life? I encourage you that this is the place that you should be if you, if you, want, if you want help. Um, if you guys could, I want you guys to pull out that communication card because that is one of the greatest places to start when it comes to dealing with your temptations. This is an opportunity for you to respond and what is going on in your life? What, what are those temptations? What have you been isolating yourself from others, from God? What, what is it in your life that you need help? You need to find the outlet. Let the Crossings Church be a place for you to find those answers. Maybe you are so caught up in things and you have no knowledge of Scripture and you have no idea what God's word says, what truth says about the temptations that you face on a day-to-day level. Maybe check that you like a personal Bible study and you'd like somebody to sit down and walk through scriptures and help indicate where it is in God's word that gives you truth on how you can deal with those temptations that you've always dealt with in your life. Maybe you're somebody that you know what you're doing is wrong and you deal with these temptations and, and instead of getting help, you choose to isolate and you choose to keep putting yourself to the side, to the side and, and to the point where you're finally alone and then you engulf yourself in that sin. Maybe check or connect that you'd like, to, you'd like to connect to a small group or that you'd like to just get to know somebody and that somebody can come alongside you and you can get some coffee and you guys can talk through some things and you can find some community and some, and some security that some people aren't going to judge you, but they're going to love you through those things. You know, I don't know where you guys are at today, but like I said from the very beginning of the sermon today, I know each and every one of us deals with temptation in our own customized package. But what has helped me and what has made me want to plant my, my family in this church is that I have found a place, a home, where people are going to help all of my family, whether it's my wife or my children or me, in our context with people that can connect to us with those same kind of temptations, and we can work through them together. I don't know what kind of sinful man I would be if I was out in the world by myself, isolated. But I'm grateful to have God's people in my life. And that connection card is an opportunity for you to find that same kind of hope and family that my family has. Um, so I'm going to do here in a second, I'm going to say a prayer. And then that's going to give you guys some, some time to fill out those communication cards. And they're going to sing a song. And then they'll give you guys some further instructions afterwards. But I want to encourage you guys all to find an opportunity to connect some way, whether it's the Super Bowl party next week. Maybe that's something that you need to deal with. Maybe it's the marriage retreat for, your, for you and your uh, spouse. Maybe it's just a cross chat for some of our student ministries. Maybe it's just a small group. But just... I encourage you guys to remember what Jesus did on the cross as our theme this year and find a way to apply it to your life, to deal with the things that are so hard that we walk through on this earth. Let's pray. God, um, I want to thank you so much for sending your son down here. Um, 
not just to die on the cross, but to live a life with an example that we could follow to know that there is always going to be temptation, but there's always an outlet. And God, I found a lot of my outlets have been answered here at this church. Um, And my life is completely different because of the people that you have blessed me with and the kind of life that you've walked me through. But God, I know it's only because of you and your people that I've been able to deal with the temptations that have been sin for a long time in my life. And I've been able to evaluate and eliminate a lot of things. And God, I know it doesn't stop because now that I'm a father, now that I'm a husband, I have different temptations. I have different struggles and sin in my life. But God, I'm so much more ready and prepared for those things. And I'm grateful to have your people and your word um, and your son that has walked alongside me to help me with those things. And I pray the same thing that the people in this room will respond and answer the same way that, that I have. And I pray also in your son's name. Amen.